Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Well, good morning. Happy Independence Day, everybody. This is Masterclass Theology. I am Big Rev. And I am Professor D. We are in Philippians chapter four today, and it's a, it's the, the chapter of Philippians that everyone's prepared for. And when people talk about Philippians, they, they consider it the happy book of the, one of the happy books of Paul, and they love it because of Philippians 4. Everyone knows Philippians 4. Everyone knows Philippians 4.13. Everyone is just happy, happy with Philippians 4, the rejoicing chapter. So we finally have gotten here, Mick. And yep. So here we are, so we're in Philippians 4, and I'm going to open us up with a word of prayer, and we'll journey forth. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, this opportunity to, to, to study your word and to discuss it together with my friend. And I'm so glad for, for Professor D to be on this journey with us this morning. And I'm thankful for coffee this morning, Lord, and, and I certainly need it this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's see here. Let me just double check one last thing, and we are good to go. Okay, so we're in Philippians 4. We're going to start with, um, well, just verse 1, it looks like. Because Paul has a, he has this opening verse here that it seems to be finishing a thought. So he says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So he says, stand firm thus. So, so Mick, was, was he finishing up? Was he finishing a thought from the previous chapter? Or is this something that stands alone? No, this is definitely the finishing of the, of the previous thought. Again, the chapters and verses divisions is something we put in modern times. But this was obviously a continuation of uh, the ending of chapter three. And what Paul is telling the Philippian believers is that in light of the resurrection, in light of the hope of the resurrection that, uh, you know, that we have in Jesus, that, and as citizens of heaven, that we are to stay true to the Lord. Mm -hmm. That's the main, basically, conclusion to uh, what chapter 320 and 21. Nice. Yeah, because he, he says, you know, stand firm thus. Is that is that the therefore in the beginning, and then kind of like this, in English, we have this, this mm -hmm. thus, like he's making something here. And he continues here. He's got this, this situation in the church he wants to address, and he uses precious Bible real estate to do so. So evidently it was a serious matter. This is in, and I'll probably butcher their names, but that's okay. Everyone does. Uh, verses two and three, uh, I, I entreat Eodia and I treat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So what do these two women, Mick, illustrate about unity? I think the big thing here is that at the heart of the Christian message, the, the message of the gospel, it, it's all about reconciliation. Paul doesn't say exactly what the issue here is, but he does appeal to them, which, by the way, for those who, who listened to the um, discussion that we had in, in the book of, uh, of Philemon two, two sessions ago, that, that word appeal is the same Greek word that gets used for urge, beseech. Uh, that's the same word that Paul's using here, the same one that he used in Philemon. And the fact that he uses urge, appeal, or beseech, depending on the translation you're, you're, you're using, this seems to indicate that the sisters were genuinely good, good Christians because um, you know, they, they were not so far gone, whatever this issue was, and that he didn't have to resort to commanding them 
So whatever the issue that these uh, ladies were going through, they might have been sisters who were really willing and trying to find a way to reconcile. They just didn't probably know how to the best way to move forward. And they just needed some help and nudging. Um, but as for as for reconciliation, you know, it's so important because, again, God is all about unity, you know, he, and he's about harmony, division and divisiveness. These, these are the, the, the devil's uh, toys, you know, um, and, and fewer things really take away from the gospel than the division among true believers. Yeah, he, he tells them to, to, to agree in the Lord. And then, mm-hmm. then he brings up the book of life. But how does that add to the illustration here? Yeah, as far as the book of life, the best that, that I can figure out from that, because I was kind of like thinking about that a bit more, is that the fact that all of their names, and he mentioned people like Clement and, and other believers, that, that their names are written in the book of life. I think this highlights the fact that they were all true, genuine, authentic believers who really just needed to work out some differences. If, if our names are in the book of life, it means that we are on the same team, and therefore we need to act in, 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 in this, the same part, you know? Mm. it's as if to say there are many things in this world that are going to divide us yeah and we may have different opinions on matters but when it comes to it they're they're both their names are both written in the book of life Mm -hmm. they're on god's team they're serving jesus so when it comes to an agreement they need to agree in the lord there needs to be something about them that is unifying in christ yeah because christ already sees them as unified yeah and they're on they're on that same team so it's almost like a larger point here about them just kind of stands out to me that there's a lot of things that divide us, but what unifies us is more important. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I think that that's really it, you know, Mm. I'm just kind of curious to what that issue may have been. Yeah. And I'm curious if this is the Clement that is of the first Clement in the, well, one of the books of the Bible that didn't quite make the Bible. Um, if that was the Clement of Alexandria, and if, if that is, that's a great, a great book of the Bible didn't make the cut. It's a good illustration. If, that, if it's that, if it's that Clement, then that's, the, I was talking the other day with a uh, Catholic friend who was asking me about the apocryphal books and the pseudepigraphal books. And he says, well, which ones do you, do you have any that you, that you like? And I said, well, I like Clement because it, it, the book is very historical and it's very, it agrees with the New Testament. It's just not the Bible. And yeah, if they this is that Clement, and that's this 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 is a high move here. I don't know. That, that's kind of cool. He gets yeah. a mention. All right. So now now the verses that everyone knows, and these are you, you get people who barely understand the Bible or barely heard the Bible, and they like, oh, I've heard those verses before. I don't know where they're from, but I've heard them. Okay. So this is four to five. We'll kind of take these uh, shorter here. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. You could also say the Lord is near. Oh, there you go. So, Mick, what what does Paul command about joy and gentleness? Well, I think I think among, among other things, I think that this illustrates that there is a choice to mention in rejoicing that that requires intentionality on the part of the believer. Think about it. How how is it that that Paul can can be happy in his circumstances? in jail, if not that he chooses to rejoice in the Lord. The Philippians were, were very aware of this, of all people, because, because of his time when he was in a Philippian jail, you know, when he was under arrest in, in, in Acts 16 with, with, with Silas. You know, there him and Silas are, and what are they doing? 
what are they doing? Are they there uh, kind of hitting their tin can over with, uh, on the bar singing the blues? No, uh, they're, they're, they're doing worship songs, you know? And, and if you look carefully, again, you know, they're doing this how in the Lord. Uh, Jesus is why we can rejoice when by conventional wisdom, we shouldn't be. Um, yeah. What, and what about gentleness? Oh, well, as far as gentleness, well, that depends on, on the translation. That can also be understood as reasonableness or being considerate. Or, you know, and, and bottom line, it, it's the result of humility. This, this is key because this is what, what Philippians 2.5 was, was talking about when, when it says that we, we have to have the same mindset, the same attitude as Jesus. We, we can't be Christ-like. We will never grow to be like him until we start learning how to be humble. Uh, and, and this is an easy, an easy thing. And yet, there is where we need to go. You know, and, and Paul caps this off by reminding us that Jesus is coming back. Mm. It's as if Euodia and Syntyche needed to be reasonable with each other. Yeah. yeah. And then so here he is. Yeah, it reminds me of, what is it? Psalm 118, where it says, today is the Lord. This is the day the Lord has made. Mm -hmm. Let us rejoice and be glad. So you, each of us gets a brand new day every morning. Yeah, it's and a nice reset button, isn't it? Each each new day, you, your your response is twofold: Re joy and gladness. And gladness, you can just say satisfaction. I say, God, right. I, I I I'm so glad to be here today. God, God, today belongs to you, and I'm satisfied with where you have me. And so here it is: being reasonable, being being agreeable, gentle, yeah, and joy and this is one of those things where it's hard to take this verse out of context because rejoice in the Lord always. It's like in every possible situation and every possible context, yeah. the appropriate response is joy in the Lord. It's like you, you can't wiggle off that hook. You can't say, well, we're not in that context. No, this is one of those verses where it seems to be in every context because of the word always. And so no matter what you're going through, and this is the, for those people who are not, who, who, who overplay maybe the, oh, happy is different than joy. Well, this might be the case where happiness, you may not feel happy and you, 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 your heart may not feel happy at all, but you can still have a joy that's in the Lord. And there can be something about your day, like more of your identity. Like I don't feel great, Lord, but I can have joy. And I, I can know that today belongs to you. And I can know that I belong to you. And, and there's something about that identity that brings joy, even though I may feel really sad, or I may be really hurt, or I may be going through a lot of issues right now, I can still maintain something deeper than happiness. And I don't know, that, that's just what jumped out, out to me, Mick. Yeah, no, I mean, again, it, it requires really a lot of intentionality. Yeah, I love that. The Lord is near. Amen. Okay, so now he gets to maybe the opposite of happiness. And which is kind of why, you know, you can rejoice and still, well, this one is anxious. So let's read six to seven. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we have an anxious one here. So evidently, even though we're told to be rejoicing always, anxiety may still come. And so... This anxious one uh, has an answer. What's the answer for the anxious one, Nick? Well, the, the answer for anxiety is prayer. Uh, and, and that is just basically going to God and talking to him. Mm. Yeah, so that, that's, that kind of answers who the focus is here. Yeah. Of the anxious one. The anxious one's focus is 
not on what's making them anxious. It's not on whatever situation they're in or what, how, however it's keeping them up at night or whatnot. Their focus is, 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 is who can God. take care of it. Yeah. Who can take care of it? I mean, it's almost like, you know, if you've got a problem at a, at a, you know, at, at a shop, you're at or at a restaurant, you may be able to take it to the person behind the counter, but you might be asking for the manager. Mm. And this is kind of like going right to the manager. Yep. And your, your focus is right on, is, is on God. And is, what is the, there's a promised blessing here for the anxious one. And what, what, what's the blessing that Paul promises? So God promises to give a, a peace that is difficult to explain. It's a piece that can really only be experienced when we when we really trust God to handle things. This piece guards our hearts and our minds from the weight of anxiety. Okay, mm-hmm. um, we we never want to minimize what anxiety is, and we know and we get that some people can be very severely affected by it. Anxiety can can be very damaging to all of us. Uh, so so we really do need to take matters up to God. Mm. Yeah, I like that because. Whenever I faced anxiety, it's 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 both my it's my mind that gets racing, and then it begins to affect my heart. Like, oh, geez, what what's going to happen now? Mm-hmm. And I begin to ponder. And so I like that this very idea guards your heart yeah. and mind. And Jesus cares about the inner you. It's not just the outer you that that's living. No, this the inner you that can respond in faith. Well, you can respond yeah. in faith even in your anxious moment. And. Yeah. And any kinds of prayer, any kind of supplication. I mean, that, that's great. That's a good principle to go to God in your, in your, in your darkest hours. And we're cruising right along here, Mick. Eight to nine. This is good. Nice, nice early morning uh, recording of, of a podcast. And it's, this, this can go faster. It's okay. All right, eight to nine. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. So, Mick, how should our thoughts be intentional? You mentioned intentionality just a yeah. moment ago, and he's mentioning our thoughts here. How should they be intentional? Well, what Paul says is we need to focus our thinking on things that, that are really that have um, eternal value, that are eternally worthwhile. Among those things are things that are true, and that, that is things that are always reliable, such as God and his promises. He mentions things that are honorable. In other words, things that are really worthy of our respect, things that, that are right, that is, things that are just, uh, things that are pure, morally right, you know, and, and, and things that are admirable. And again, these are things that don't just have value in the here and now these are things we everybody values but these are things that are actually going to be valuable in the life to come as well their, their kingdom characteristics sound like tony evans there hmm. yeah okay so he doesn't just mention your thoughts here um he he, he talks about putting things into practice. So now, so your thoughts need to be intentional. Now, what about their actions need to be intentional? Yeah, you know, so, you know, as I'm reading this, you know, and again, I love the way when, when you're doing a book and you stay within the context of the books, you kind of see how it's all strung together. So this is a kind of a reiteration of what he was saying in, in chapter three, verse 17, where he says, you know, to pattern ourselves after him, after Paul himself and, and others who are exemplary believers, believers who, who, you can tell are, are 
are imitating Jesus in, in the way that they live. We have sets of disciplines that we need to, to put into practice. That, and these, the reason we do these things is not to be saved, but because they, they align us to God. Mm. Yeah, and I, I'm not reading here Paul lifting himself up saying, hey, I'm the man, look at me. Mm. It almost sounds like to me these are younger believers and they, they need someone they need to mimic. They need a good example. Yeah. And just saying, hey, you've got some good examples near you. And if, no, if you don't have one, think of me. You know, oh. what, how would I respond? So it, it's a, when you're a younger Christian, you need someone yeah. to follow. Jesus uses exactly what you just said right there. You, you beat me to the punch. It's that word follow. Jesus used that word follow so many times. The New Testament uses the word follower, follower so many more times. We need to follow the right people. Who's going to be our influencers? That's what we have to be watching out for. Because you're going to mimic somebody. Yeah. And, all right. So our, in this little section here, our thoughts should be intentional. Our actions should be intentional. And then he gives us another blessing. What's the promised blessing here? And Paul says that when we position ourselves to obey, and that's, that's what it means to align ourselves and, and to, as it says in the text, to put into practice what we have received, then, then what we're going to, to notice God in our lives. I think as believers, God, God, first of all, as believers, God is always with us. And I want us to be clear about that. But obedience is how we, we basically can, can see God, feel God, if you will, in, in the here and now. I mean, God is always with us, but let's face it, we don't always feel like he is. And it's through obedience and, and it's how we, we, we get to experience the peace that, that, that surpasses all understanding. It's kind of like... Um, it's kind of like Revelation chapter three, where in, when we're not living in obedience, when we're half-hearted or outright disobedient, we're really not interacting with God. And, and the point of, of God being with us is, is not just to be like, okay, I'm, I'm here for a ride along in your, you know, in you. No, the, the point of God being in me and with me is so that I can be interacting with him. Mm. Amen. All right, so we continue to 10 to 13, and this, this of course, is the famous Philippians 4.13, so I like that it exists kind of like the bottom of a paragraph. It gives us a context. So 10 to 13, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, and so, so Paul's commanding, us to, commanding everyone to rejoice, and he's saying, hey, he rejoiced. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, and now at length, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things for him who strengthens me. Amen. So what was Paul's basic perspective on contentment here? Nick? I think what Paul's communicating with contentment is that God sufficiently meets all of our needs. He talks about how um, in having or not having, he has, and I'm going to emphasize that word, learned. And, let, and let me, again, let me stress that. He has, he has learned to trust God with thick and thin, what, whether he has a fridge full of food or, or is dependent on on. on somebody to provide his, his stuff day to day, the goodwill of others, he knows he can trust God. Uh, suppose I go without food for days. You know, let's think about it. Jesus actually went without food for 40 days without eating. Okay. And somehow God's with him and meeting his needs. 
But for, so for many people, that is in their present day reality, I need to realize that God is teaching me something or is forming in some shape, way, or form something in me. You know, Paul's saying that somehow, and, and keep this in mind, again, there is a learning curve here, that God is getting me through this. It, it may very well be that God is more focused on meeting another need of mine that is not necessarily my physical circumstances, but more spiritual or mental in nature. And, and, and you know, he got Jesus through the 40 days without eating. He can do the same thing, you know, to us. You know, and, and I need to learn in the midst of that, how to trust God. I need to learn how to, to, to depend on God. I think a, a great scripture here is, um, so I was looking this up, is Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9, where it says, yeah. Oh God, I beg two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. First, help me never to tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think this is a great perspective because it, it, it goes to show whether, whether greedy or needy, we're, we're all capable of sinning against God if we don't learn how to be content. Yeah. And the verse that jumps out to me would be Psalm 23, one, the, the, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall yeah. not want or be in wanting or be in need. I mean, the idea yeah. that it begs the question, am I a satisfied sheep? Yeah. Is it how God provides for me? Am I always longing for a greener pasture or am I satisfied with the pasture that he's led me to? Because if I'm longing for something else and I'm not only unsatisfied, but I'm really unsatisfied with him. And I'm really saying that he stinks as a shepherd because if he was any better of a shepherd, he'd have me where I think I ought to be instead of where he has me. And so that to learn that contentment, and so make this whole talk about being in need and bringing this up to the Philippians and, and, and learning contentment, this all forms a backdrop for Philippians 4.13. So every, and this is the verse that everybody's probably taken out of context. They're trying to do something in life and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, what's the context here? What, what is he talking about? How, yeah. does, how does this contentment form the backdrop for Philippians 4.13? Yeah, this is this, this is the verse that is too often taken out of context to mean that God's going to help me out in some athletic or competitive endeavor, and that's just not it. We mean it the right way. We're not trying to, you know, right, right, take yeah. out the Bible and just like wipe, wipe our nose with it. No, we, no. we we're, we're asking God to come through for us. And yeah, but, yeah, no, the actual content has to do that whatever difficulty or hardship we're facing, it has to do in light of a difficulty or hardship that we're facing that God can help us through it. You know, I can endure hardships. Why? Because God is with me, because he gives me the strength to carry on. I can suffer the loss of a loved one because God will give me the strength to get through it. I can, I can endure a, a terminal prognosis because God is giving me the strength, strength that I really can't muster in and of myself. And, and I will endure that negative prognosis because God gives me the strength. It, it it's just how it's, it's it's like how Jesus got through Gethsemane and Calvary. God gave him the strength to do so. Yeah, it's it's like I I can I can be content even when I don't have a lot mm -hmm. because He's with me. So it's almost like if I were to continue my Psalm twenty three analogy, is Psalm twenty three one the contentment of Psalm twenty three one is made possible because even though I walk through the valley of the shadow yeah. of death, I will not fear. Why? For Thou art with me. 
So that yeah. idea of I could be a content sheep. Yeah. Because even in my darkest hours, I know that you're with me, God. And so here I can be content, even though whether I have plenty or I have great need, I can be content in all things. It's like if he's the one strengthening me, then my response is like, I can be content with that. I should be content with that. I, that, that. That is enough. And so now I can endure all things. I, I, I can now go to the next day because he's with me. He's yeah. the one strengthening me. So this is not about me getting mine. It's about him being with me. Yeah. Because that's what stands out to me. What do you think about that? No, I mean, I, I would agree with that. Does my does my Psalm 23 analogy fit? I think it, it fits very well because I think that the darker the occasion, the more dra dramatic or the more evident that you, you, you can experience God getting you through something, you mm -hmm. know? The greater the hurdle, the greater the victory. Amen. Well, th thank you for helping us with that context, Professor D, because like I said, this is one I, I remember being on the football field and doing, I played a year of college football. I, I remember we were running the snake and the snake is a really just a horrible drill where you, you run the width of the football field, which is 50 yards and, mm -hmm. you, and you run up five yards and run 50 yards back and go all the way up the field that way. Just a horrible thing. The little guys on the team, the little runners, they enjoyed it. Make you, you're, you're a runner. You might have enjoyed it. But the, 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 big, the bigger heavyweights like me, we were just lumbering. And I remember one of the DBs, one of the little uh, defensive backs, he was my buddy and the only other Christian on the team that I knew about. And he actually ran all the way back to find me because I was at the end of the line, you see. And he, he ran back to find me. He kept saying, Philippians 4.13, Joel. Philippians 4.13, just keep saying it. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. And it was nice. In the moment, it's like, oh, I can do all things. I can do all things. I'm huffing and puffing. I'm making strange animal noises up and down the field. <laughs> it was out of context, but because it, 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 I wasn't saying as I was running, I'm content right now. I'm content right now. God has given me content. No, I'm saying I, I can't wait to get water. I can't wait to be off this football field and on, sitting on a chair somewhere. But, but yeah, so I mean, I myself was taking it out of context, but we do that. We take that verse because it's such an encouraging verse that we want to apply it to any situation we're in. And, and I like here that Paul ties it to contentment because yeah. that really is at our core. Are we content with God or not? Yeah. And if we're content with God, that now affects our anxiety struggle. That affects all these things that Paul's talking about. The very fact that we can rejoice. You can rejoice when you don't have anything at all because you're content with God. And God is teaching you that you can rejoice when you don't, when you have plenty. I mean, there's all these things. This, mm -hmm. this, this ties this whole chapter together. It's nice. Yeah. All right. And I realize that we're going to end the chapter and we'll have to tie this together. So I don't want to take any thunder away from anybody. Okay. 10 to 13, we did 14 to 20. Ooh, a bigger chunk here. Okay. So let me get to back to the text here. Yet it was, so Paul's going to speak historically a bit. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. What a great little doxology there at the end. All right. So, Professor D, uh, in 14 to 16, what situation was Paul referring to? 
I think he, he I think it, it's fair to say that he's talking about his current arrest, you know, and and, and waiting for his trial. Yeah, so so evidently Rome must have allowed him to receive visitors and visitors mm-hmm. could bring could bring goodies and they could yeah. bring they could bring supplies and they could, he he could be he could be stocked but but his friends would have to keep bringing it. Yeah. He couldn't he couldn't just go shopping. He, his friends would have to come bring it by. And it sounds like they were. Yeah. Great. All right, so he he says something about in verse 17 some kind of a credit and, and fruit, fruit. What's he saying there? So what, what Paul is saying in verse 17 is that, that he really didn't need anything from them. You know, again, going back to the whole thing of contentment that he's been talking about. In fact, because he didn't really need things from them, he was grateful for, for what they had done for him, you know, and what they had given him in that it, it demonstrated their sincerity and commitment to the gospel. And, and he wanted God to reward them for that. Mm. So it's almost like they've got this that they've got this account. They got it's it's, yeah. it's similar language to uh, Paul's. It was a Romans four where Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Yeah, I mean it's almost just like that. That there's something about our belief that God gives you credit for it. Yeah, I mean I, I realize it's a metaphor. It's not like there's some kind of great bank account that God's maintaining, but but yeah, he's he's. It's the, the fruit. It's 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 a uh, it's a transaction that works on God's good grace. Yeah, it's like you you. I mean, we kind of get this idea when Jesus talks about don't don't store up treasure on earth, but instead store up treasure in heaven. Mm-hmm. And I've even I've even had people do me favors before, and, and they said, "Please don't thank me publicly." I'm like, "Well, why? You did such a good thing for me. You helped me with my car or whatever it was." No, don't thank me publicly because i want my treasure to only be in heaven and yeah. and i mean i and i had to pause and i had to kind of respect that i mean i i wanted i wanted to sing this person's praises for the great thing he did for me and at the same time it's like you know i can i can respect the perspective there because he doesn't yeah. want the praise is like he, it's like if he gets it, it he, i don't know if he was exactly exegeting that properly but but he, he if he, he thought to himself if i got my praise now i'm not going to get I'm, it's not going to give me treasure in heaven I, I at least respected the I respected that perspective. It yeah. makes sense to me. And here Paul is saying, hey, the things you're doing for me, God notices. Yeah. And you're taking care of me. I'm one of God's servants and you're caring for me when no one else can and and no one else will. And God notices it, and you're going to get credit in God's eyes. Yeah, I, I, I think that's really great, especially for some of our listeners who are maybe are serving behind the scenes. Maybe you are someone who's never up on stage. You never get any applause. You're never noticed. You, it's, it's maybe you're only noticed when something goes wrong, but you just serve faithfully and, and you're fine with that. You're very cool being behind the scenes and kind of just serving God. And, and, but God sees and God yeah. knows and God cares. Look, I think when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised who are the people that God is going to reward greater than others. And it may not necessarily be pastors or theologians or teachers. It may be many of the lay people. Yeah, the, the person pushing the mop in the back mm-hmm. room, you know, that, that no one no one sees, but they're back there singing, make me a servant. You know, they're just... The person who opened the, the door for that wheelchair person being brought in. Totally. You know. So he continues in 18 and 19. He has a, something nice going on here. He's, he's talking about... he's. He talks about he's being supplied, and now God's going to supply them. So, what's how do they go together? Uh, 
They seem to go together nicely yeah. with the idea of supply. I think that that Paul was grateful. He he was grateful to God first and foremost for for his faithfulness towards him and everything that he was going through. You're like, what? God's faithful to him, and he's got him in prison. Yeah, God was being faithful to Paul even as he's going through prison. So, and uh, Paul was also grateful to the Philippians for for their being faithful to God and committed to the gospel uh, in their financial gifts to him and throughout his ministry for sending him you know, Epaphroditus and, and whatnot. I mean, he was talking about it, like, even when he was in, in, uh, in, in Thessalonica, it was, it was the Philippians who were, who were helping him out financially. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and as God had been ultimately faithful to Paul, he knew that God would be faithful to the Philippian believers as well. Yeah. And, and I, I like that because we don't know you know, God's going to supply our needs, but according to the riches of glory in Christ Jesus. So um, if you think about it, that, that ties it to salvation. And mm-hmm. I don't know if God's going to supply your needs and you're going to get Lamborghinis and you're going to get seven course meals, but your salvation, that, that, that grace is rich that you've received from God. And you are going, it's like those of us who belong to Christ, you've been reconciled back to God. And by his amazing grace through faith, that is rich, 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 rich. That's as rich as it gets. And that's what you get to have in Christ. And so with that perspective, God's going to provide your needs, not necessarily with that amount. And God's going to supply you because He, if you're in need, we depend upon God. And because he's already taken care. It's as if with salvation, God's already lifted a thousand pound weight. Your needs are like 10 pound weights. Yeah. If God can take care of the big thing, God's going to take care of what what appears to be a, a categorically smaller thing. Oh, yeah. All right. So, Mick, in this section here, Paul kind of closes the plane with a doxology. Dox, I kind of mean in glory or in praise. And to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. So is how does this all kind of end like the, the Philippian ministry to Paul? How does that give God glory? Or what, how was God glorified by that? See, God has entrusted all of us with talents and resources, um, among other things. He, he is glorified when we use these talents and resources in ways that, that are not selfish, that are not self-serving, that are not greedy, self-centered. It, it's like Jesus said uh, in, in Matthew 25, 40, whatever you did for, for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Mm. Amen. Well, we close the we we kind of close the book here with with three verses. This is Paul's final greetings, twenty one to twenty three. Paul writes, "Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit." Thus ends the book of Philippians. So, how does Paul land the plane here? What stands out? I think he tells the Philippians to, to greet all believers in Christ Jesus. And that means every single believer. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or whatever. Every single believer. We have to, we have to acknowledge each other. And, and what is really cool is that because of Paul's time in prison in Rome, um, he actually had the opportunity to, to lead people from Caesar's household, as, as it's, it's put in the text. You know, and, and that what this is referring to is, is basically people who are connected, influential people of various kinds. This, this includes um, royalty. This, this includes politicos. This includes people who, who are working there. 
and um, and I think really more importantly, the soldiers. Um, and he, he got to lead them to the Lord because this is something that will eventually lead to the spread of Christianity throughout the Roman Empire mm. and, and throughout Western civilization. And, and this is going to have far-reaching consequences 2,000 years into the future, you know, to us today. You know, when you think about it, because of Paul's sufferings, we also get to be beneficiaries of this. Amen. Well, my friend, we've, we've come to the end of this book. We, as, as we always do, when we come to the end of a book. We first offer, are there any closing thoughts we have on just this chapter? Because we also, did, we, we finished a book today, but we also did a chapter. Yeah. So Mick, what, what would be your closing thoughts on Philippians 4? Yeah, and especially this, this chapter, especially at my lowest. I can do all things to Christ who gives me the strength necessary to endure all these things. Look, I don't want to put, I, I don't want to be put through a lot of the circumstances that I, that I sometimes go through. Okay. I'm not crazy about my work circumstances. You know, it's, it's, it's something that I've shared, you know, I dread the possibility of cancer. You know, lately it seems like aunts and uncles of mine in Puerto Rico have been getting sorts of cancers of different kinds. You know, I dread the idea of losing my sight or, or one of the worst things that I hate thinking about is all, any time of outliving any member of my, my, my household quartet. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I can get overwhelmed by anxiety, even, even just thinking about some of that stuff. And, and Jesus, and, and, I, and I look back to Jesus, you know, Jesus didn't want to go through Gethsemane and Calvary, you know, and, I'm, and I am confident that Paul really wished he didn't have to be, have that thorn on the side or, or that, or wanted it to be imprisoned you know, or, or executed the way he was ultimately going to be executed, you know, and, and we're all facing things we'd rather not. But but whatever I face or go through, I have to trust that, that God will get me through it, even if it leads to my death, you know, because think about it, God's going to get me through death itself. And, mm. and, and that's the hope of the resurrection that we have in Jesus. God will help me, he'll help all of us who are his to get not around the situation, but to go through it. Like you brought up earlier in Psalm 23, you know, through the valley of the shadow of death, God is going to get us through it. Mm. And, that, and that's a great comforting thought. Amen. Uh, for, where I, where I kind of land the plane of Philippians four, I'm, this, this chapter for me is, is now, I mean, in the, the counseling circles, I journey in with all the, the people that I journey with. There's a good number of them. Um, I was I, I I met a counselor last night. I was I was at a a, a Fourth of July function at, at, at a nursing home. I work I kind of I have have as a, have as a side job, and one one of the one of the residents said, "You got to bring your family and bring your kids, and we, we're going to have fireworks, all that kind of stuff, and we're gonna we're gonna grill out." It was cute. We were there, you know, we were dancing, you know, with the with the, the residents in wheelchairs. It was a cool little moment there. And I, and I, and I met someone and, 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 and my wife and I, you know, met this woman and she, and this woman is a counselor. And I asked her, I said, Hey, so you're a secular counselor. I'm curious. Uh, I, what, what's the number one, if you had a category of people that have come your way, what's the number one. And, and she said, well, I get a lot of depressed people and I get a lot of anxiety and, and I'm thinking, well, that's me too. In the church, it's, we get anxiety and depress depression is probably the number one thing I get in terms of people coming to journey with me. Anxiety is right up there. And, and what, and I, and I wanted to talk with her further, but it, it wasn't an opportunity to talk because I wanted to answer what hope do you offer them? Because 
I don't think they're going to have too much hope to offer at some point from a secular perspective. But here, from a Christian perspective, the one who suffers with anxiety actually has hope. And what I like to do with people who are suffering with anxiety, I ask them two questions. I ask them, you know, what can you control and what can you not control? And the things that you can't control, I, I, I counsel them, take those matters to God. And so we see that play out here where it is, uh, you know, rejoice in the Lord always say, and uh, uh, the, what you're, you're anxious. Um, it's okay because you're going to go to God in prayer. And the answer to anxiety with the things that you absolutely cannot control, your response is take it to God and trust God with it. But what about the things you can control? Well, then Paul continues, think about certain things and then act a certain way. And so the things you can control, your thinking, your responses, your actions, all these things. So the things that you, in, your, in the midst of your anxiety, the things that you cannot control, those are moments to trust God. The things that you can control, those are moments to honor God. And so that's how, that's like the very first steps. Those anxiety questions are kind of how I begin to, to process people coming out of anxiety. And, you know, we look at things like what's feeding the anxiety, fear, anger, that kind of thing. But, but these are the main things. And what gives me so much joy, an another quick illustration, we had just gotten, oh, it was, I forget which one of our pregnancies it was, but we had gotten a really bad ultrasound or something. We had gotten really bad news. And there was somebody in my church a long time ago, and they said, how are you feeling about that? I said, we're actually pretty worried. And then on the spot, he chastened me and he said, Pastor Joel, you're not supposed to be worried don't you know what Philippians 4 says? And he says, shame on you. And he walked away. And I was like, oh my goodness, that was really a nice thing to say. Because in the midst of my worry, and it caused me to wonder if I ever have anxiety, because it says, don't, don't be anxious about anything. And so those of us who have anxiety, what do we do? And I put towards you this, there's a tension here. Because on mm -hmm. the one hand, we're told, don't you ever have anxiety? And on the other hand, we get a first Peter chapter five, verse seven, which tells us, cast your anxieties upon him. So now we live in this tension between I, I, I shouldn't have any, or I, I, anxiety is not my answer, but when I do, it make it reminds me of when we were studying first John, where, mm. when, when you said, hey, the, the goal is not to sin, but just in case you do, you have an answer for when you sin. And, and I, I just, if we go through anxiety, we've got hope. And and I like that because it guards our minds and yeah. the peace of God will be, I mean, it's like Paul is, and it almost gives us the idea that that's maybe what Paul is struggling with yeah. as he's in chains. Yeah. What's going to be the next step? Though he's trusting God, anxiety is right there knocking at the door of his heart. And that's how, and that was a long landing of the plane. That was, we were circling the runway a bit there, but that that's Philippians 4 for me. But Mick, what about the entire book of Philippians? How do you summarize? Well, regarding the entire book of Philippians, um, to me, it, Jesus's ultimate vindication and exaltation in, in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, Ooh, nice. that stuff is, that, that's, that's epic. And, uh, and the beautiful thing about this particular epic, unlike, let's say, Beowulf's, is that both in the past history and the future history, th this is reality um, mm -hmm. because we are joined to him. As it said at the end of chapter three, we are, we are citizens of heaven and we have the hope of the, of the resurrection because because Jesus is our is our Lord, He's our Kyrios, he, He's our God, and, and 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 He was victorious. We can have confidence that, like it says in one six, that He who began the good work of salvation in us 
we'll see it through all the way, baby. And, yeah. and, and, and yeah, we can, we can do anything God wants us to, because he's going to give us the power to do it. I mean, coming full circle, you know, praise God, Jesus, man. And, and piggybacking on that, what, what, what this, this works out. Mick and I didn't plan. We never know how each other is going to land the plane. It's one of the great surprises as we record our podcast. But I, li I like how Mick just laid the foundation to uh, the perspective you must have now as you live your life. Now I add the first floor. Paul in this book is giving you ways in which you are to live now as Christ, as the king, as king of kings and lord of lords, as, mm -hmm. as, as, as Yahweh in the flesh, as the humility of Christ, the exaltation of Christ. Now, how should I now live? Chapter one, to live is Christ. Chapter two, humility like Christ. Chapter three, press on to know Christ. And chapter four, your hearts and minds will be guarded in Christ. It's like, yes, make laid the foundation of, of, of chapter two, the humility and exaltation of Christ. And here now, this great, happy, joyful book of the Bible is teaching us to live your life, every aspect of your life, your hardships, your joys, all centered in Christ Jesus. What a great book of the Bible. Yeah. And, and, and the joyfulness of this book is highlighted in the fact that based on conventional wisdom, he shouldn't be joyful. And yet here he is Amen. joyful and commanding us to rejoice. And he, and he commands us to rejoice at least three times in this book. So good. Yeah. Well, this has been Masterclass Theology from the book of Philippians. We begin the next book, Colossians, next week. The great book of Colossians. We've been looking forward to this one. Oh, yeah. As always, I'm Big Rev. And I'm still Professor D. Happy Independence, everybody. God bless. Be safe. Bye. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode. And I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.